By show of hands, who in here has done something that they know they should not have done? Some of us are willing to admit that. Now, raise your hand if you've done something maybe, like, you don't think you should have done, but you know your parents thought it was wrong. Now, now raise your hand if that's you. Okay, at some point, all of us should have raised our hands. That is most of us at one point or another. You can admit it. None of us are too good to admit that. Who in here has been grounded? Let's try that one. See if anyone's willing to admit. Who has been grounded? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for more hands. Okay, some of us. I think we're kind of getting away from grounding in the world, which is a little terrifying. I don't know what the rules look like anymore. I'm not a parent. It seems to be common for us, though. Some of us have uh, been, been grounded. But here, let me lay out a situation. There's a situation in my life. I was, I was your age. I was in the seventh or eighth grade. I can't exactly remember. So most of my weekends, most of my Friday nights, they're spent at home, unless there's like a football game or I was over at a friend's house. I didn't have much freedom, couldn't drive, you know, wasn't just going and doing crazy things. So I was just chilling at home. But I have two older sisters, and my oldest sister at this time, I believe she was a junior. Well, she was old enough to drive, and that's really, um, that's really all that matters for this story. I remember one night, she was somewhere she was not supposed to be. I don't even know. I don't need to know. I don't care. But she was somewhere where she was not supposed to be. And on the way home, I think she probably, you know, know my parents, they're heavy sleepers. I think she would have gotten away with it. But on her way home, she ended up getting in a car crash. So it ended up not being, and it was, I think, don't even think another car was involved. I just think somehow she ended up in a ditch, which is crazy. I don't know the details. Don't want to know. But I remember that got her busted, and my parents were not very happy. I remember they got that phone call. I think it was 1 or 2 in the morning, and they were mad. I remember how they reacted to that. They were not happy. She got grounded. She was in some big uh, trouble. Fast forward to when I could drive. Remember, I'm also the baby of my family. So I get some special privileges. That just kind of comes with the job, you know, as the baby of the family. You get some special privileges. Parents, I know you you get that. Um, but at this time, I was where I was supposed to be because, you know, golden child, doing exactly what I should do all the time. I was where I should be, but I was just driving home, and I also ended up in a ditch somehow. And I knew that this was just my own fault. You know, just coming out of my buddy's house, we were playing Fortnite at the time, just leaving, trying to go home for dinner. Just turned the car to the right just a little too soon. It happens to the best of us, maybe. You guys don't know what driving's like, but sometimes um, it is hard. But I flash back. In that moment, I flash back to how my parents reacted. I flash back to how my parents reacted whenever I found out that my sister was in a car crash. And I did not have a good feeling about that. I knew it was not going to be good for me. And in this situation, my special privileges of the baby, as the baby of the family were not applied. Those were gone out the window. There was punishment to the situation. And we'll take a look at that. Later, But tonight we're going to take a look at a story of uh, how a father responds to his son, and it helps us see his true character. So let me pray for us, and then we'll hop into our text tonight. Lord, thank you for the start of a new semester. I pray for each teacher, Lord, each student this year. Would you keep them safe? Would you help them to learn? Would you help them to have a good school year, keep people safe with the weather, traveling to and from school, Lord? Lord, I pray for gravity. Would you use our speaker? our band, our service projects, Lord, would you use everything to bring glory to your name? God, I pray for our guests that will come. <clears throat> would you help people uh, to come to know you as Savior, Lord? There'll be people there that, that have never called on your name, Lord. Would you help them to come to know you, Lord? God, we thank you for Jesus. We're grateful that you rose him from the grave. I pray tonight that you would show us how to accept others just as you do. Lord, we love you. It's your holy name that we all pray. Amen. 
So a little bit of setup for tonight. We're going to be starting a new series. You'll see it on the screen behind me. We're going to be starting a new series called The Parables of Jesus. And a lot of you have probably heard uh, of a parable or, or what that looks like. But we're going to take a look at seven different parables over the course of the next seven weeks. And we're going to look at the meaning behind them. And some of you, first time you've ever heard of the word parable. I'll break that down for you. I even had to Google the definition yesterday to get the, the exact uh, definition. So you're not alone if you've never heard of a parable. Essentially, it's just a simple story. And throughout the Bible, Jesus used these simple stories or these parables to explain something spiritual or to teach a spiritual lesson. And so throughout this series, we're going to take seven different stories or seven different parables, and we're going to see from each of those what lesson Jesus is trying to teach us. And I'm really, really excited about it. Our first parable, the first one that we're going to look at is a, is a familiar one. It's called the prodigal son. The prodigal son, or as I like to call it, the loving father. The loving father. You'll understand exactly what I'm talking about here in a minute. Many of us have probably heard of this parable. You've heard of this story. If you haven't, that's okay. I'm glad you're here tonight. As we go through this story, you'll hear about a younger son. He's really captivating throughout the whole entire process. But I really want you to, to key in and take a look at the father, how the father reacts, how the father responds throughout this story. You can go ahead, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 15. That's where we'll be tonight. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back. Sean would be uh, happy to help you out with that. So if you don't have a Bible, you can get up and go grab one or raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get one. Feel free to, to go back there. I'll wait till you, till you get back to start. But similar to the story I told earlier, we're going to see a son do something that is probably not the wisest thing. But throughout that, we're also going to get to see how a father responds. So we'll get to see a son, he'll do something that's not smart, but we also get to see the father's response. <laughs> With the definition of a parable that I gave you earlier, keep in mind the characteristics that you see about the father. It'll really help you out throughout the story. Just remember the father, see how the father acts throughout this. The first thing that I want you to take away, the first thing I wanna know is that we have all made mistakes. In our life, we have all made mistakes. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. I'll read down to 17. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So the, the father distributed the estate to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. So we have a son here. He asked his dad for his inheritance. His dad's still alive. And then he takes that. Essentially, he's telling his dad he'd rather him be dead. And he takes his inheritance and he squanders it. That just happens in three verses. Picking up in 15. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. What's happening here? We break this down, these first six verses. We ask ourselves, what is happening? Well, we see very simply a father had two sons. The younger one of the two approached him, asked for his portion of the share of all the father had. And at this time, uh, it was their tradition that the older brother would get two-thirds of what the father had. So the younger brother would get one-third of what was coming his way. The younger son, in asking for his portion, is basically telling his father that he would he's essentially dead to him, and I don't want us to get hung up on this, but what's even crazier is the father does it. 
the son asked for his inheritance early, essentially saying, hey, dad, you're, you're good as dead to me. And the father, he, he gives him his inheritance. I don't want us to get hung up on that, but it is important to know. In verse 13, it tells us the younger son gathered his things, his things, all of his stuff. Well, in this day and age, his portion would not have just been cold, hard cash. It would have been different things like animals, land, maybe some buildings with some supplies, maybe food that could last them a long time. So the son would have sold all of that quickly. And when you take something, you want to sell it as quick as possible. You try to take whatever it is. Maybe it's a game that you have or an old game system or clothes, and you want to sell it as quick as possible. Are you going to get the best or the worst price? Not a trick question. You're going to get the best or the worst price? You're probably going to get the worst price if you're trying to sell it as quick as possible. I didn't realize that was going to be that difficult. You're going to get the worst price. So the son, we already see, is ruining his portion that is coming his way. We also see that he runs into trouble. And that's something that we can all resonate with. If we are saved by Jesus or not, we all have a past. Some of us have been freed from that by Jesus' work on the cross. But we still have all made mistakes. No one in here is perfect. I've made mistakes. Every adult leader in here will tell you that they've made some, some mistakes and they probably still make mistakes from time to time. We have all messed up, but we're also striving to look more and more like Jesus. And our mess ups, our mistakes, odds are they probably don't look like ruining your inheritance. They don't look like spending everything that your family has, but we may be uh, running away from our community. We may, we may be not a good friend. We may not be accountable. Our friend tells us something, they're working through something, and we just go behind their back and we say whatever we want about them. Or we're two-faced, we act one way here, a different when you're at church, a different when you're at home, a different when you're at school. Some of us are probably looking at things that we know we shouldn't be looking at. Our parents have instructed us, hey, don't look at that. We're still disobeying them and, and doing what we think is best for us. We may put idols, whether that's sports orchestra, dance, choir, etc. you name it. Some of us may be putting idols ahead of the Lord in our own life. The question is not what, what if we make a mistake. That's not the question because we are going to make mistakes. It's what do we do in those times of trouble? Who do we turn to? Do we keep sprinting away on our own thinking that, that we got this? I know oftentimes in my own life when I mess up, I just want to keep going down that path. I'm like, I got myself in this mess. I can get myself out. I just keep going, just keep going. That never seems to work. We, we don't need to just keep sprinting away on our own. We need to turn to the Lord. We need to turn to our community. We need to get back to what we know. Oftentimes, I think we can get this view of God. We can think he's just like a sheriff or he's this mean guy in the sky just waiting for us to mess up. He's just up there. He's just waiting. He's like, oh, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for Cooper to mess up. I know he's going to do it today. He's just waiting for us to mess up, but that's just not the case. Verse 19 will show us how we usually view ourselves when we mess up, the shame we put ourselves in. But in verse 20, we see exactly how the Father views us. Let's pick up in verses 18 through 20. I'll get up, go to my Father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. This is the younger son after realizing what he did. After he got rid of all his possessions, he lost it all. He'll tell his Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. From that, we can see that Jesus celebrates 
those who come to him. We can tell that Jesus celebrates those that come to him. We pick back up in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, which at this time would have been the father's robe. So he already gave him something. Now he's given him his robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We see in verses 18 and 19, the son is rehearsing the speech that he's going to tell his father. I can just imagine it. He's, he's like, man, what have I done? I've messed up. We've all done this in our own situations. Whether that's like, you know, sometimes you push your younger sibling down or your cousin. You're like, hey, no, don't, don't tell mom. That's okay. Hey, I've got something. You can play on my iPad or you could, I've got candy or you can have it all. Just don't tell mom. I don't want to get grounded. We try to hide her. We try to think of this speech that we're going to rehearse so that we don't get in trouble. We're looking out for our best interest. In this moment, the younger son is, is looking for words to say because he's looking for approval. He's trying to regain that trust with his father. And that day arrives. So he's going back. He's going to give him this long speech. And as soon as he gets home and the dad sees him, he can't even get the words out. His father's immediate reaction was to celebrate him. Wasn't to condemn him, wasn't to make fun of him, tell him that he was worthless. His immediate reaction was to celebrate him. The Bible tells us the father saw him, he was filled with compassion, and he ran towards him. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I have not seen my dad run in a very long time. So if my dad, and I think some of you guys are in the same boat, if you see your dad running, something's probably either really wrong or something really good happened. In this moment, we see that the, the father was running to him. The father immediately celebrates the son. He throws him a party. And the whole reason behind that, the whole reason that he can celebrate him and throw him a party is in verse 24. Let's reread that. Verse 24 says, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The one that was lost was finally found. This example of a father welcoming in his son, despite his son basically saying he wishes he was dead, is so important. Because this is the way that Jesus is with us. When I told you to think about the father and the different characteristics that he brings, this is exactly what I'm talking about. He was perfect. We are sinful, and yet despite that, he still sent his son. God still sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us despite us. And we can't have a relationship with God on our own. It's only through the saving work of Jesus on the cross and what he did for us. So no matter how far gone you think you are, the Father is waiting to celebrate you. You just need to run home. He's not, he's not going to condemn you or, or make fun of you. He is welcoming and he is wanting to celebrate you. I'm convinced we'll ne never be able to experience anything here on earth that's quite like that moment that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I'm convinced of that. But there are moments, there are people in our life that show different characteristics and attributes to us that point to the Father. And I can think of a time in my own life. It was the after the fall semester of my sophomore year. I was really far away from the Lord. I was doing my own thing. I thought what I was doing was right. It was one of the lowest points of my life. I'd messed up bad grades, lost my scholarship, was making decisions that I knew I shouldn't make. And, and I knew when I went home that semester, I was kind of nervous because I'm a mama's boy and I could just like feel, I knew my mom knew I was messing up. I don't know what it was, but I could just feel that. And so I just felt like a failure going home. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, didn't know if I wanted to stay in college, didn't know what 
was going on. I just remember my mom welcoming me in and, and loving me, showing me grace, only the kind of grace that could come from the Lord because I know I was hard to love in that situation. She loved me despite my actions. In the same way is true with Jesus. He's always waiting. He loves you. He wants you to turn to him. Ask yourself this question. You don't have to answer out loud. You just keep it, keep it in your own mind. Think to yourself. Ask yourself this question. When you encounter people in your life that are far from the Lord, people that you know that are not seeking the Lord, what is your response? What is your immediate reaction? There's probably a couple buckets that you can put yourself in. Are you judgmental towards them? You just want absolutely nothing to do with them? Or be like, hey, I kind of know you. I know you're kind of messing with some things. I don't really struggle with that anymore, so we're going to love you from a distance. I don't really want to get close to you because I know you struggle with that. I don't want to be associated. Is that kind of where we're at? And maybe we're in a third category. Maybe we, we chase after this person with the love of Christ, and we're showing them um, what the Lord, he tells us to do. He tells us to, to look after those that are lost. What, what bucket would you put yourself in? Just think about that. We see in the rest of our story that Jesus seeks sinners. Jesus seeks sinners. Picking up in verse 25, it says, Now his older son, this is the second son in the story, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of, one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry. He didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who came, who has devoured your assets, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oftentimes in our own life, we tend to trust our flesh. We tend to, to trust in our own selfish nature, and that's how we operate on a day-to-day basis. The older brother is no different than we are most of the time. In this story, it's easy to see the younger brother. It's easy to picture the younger brother of someone that doesn't know the Lord. He's far off. Yeah, he's running home to the Father. Sweet. That's a great, that's a great story. We love that picture of, of homecoming and him running in, but we oftentimes forget about the older brother, and more times than we would like to admit, we are the older brother. We're full of ourselves. It's in our, it's in our flesh to, to think about ourselves all the time, to be selfish, to not have others' uh, concerns or needs in mind. We're just all about ourselves. Verse 30 uses strong language to show us the older brother's true feelings. He doesn't even recognize his older brother. He says, but when this son of yours, he's telling the dad, he says, this son of yours, he's not even recognizing him as his brother. He does not want to associate with him. In this moment, all he can think about is himself and how faithful he's been. He's very self-righteous in this moment. And I don't want you to miss verse 32. I'll reread it. It says, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, the, the dad calls him his brother, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what it's all about. Jesus came to seek sinners. He came to save the lost. We cannot miss that. His word tells us that. And if we are to be disciples of Christ, that's not an option for us because Jesus seeks sinners. So if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to be following after Christ, it's not up to us if we want to pursue sinners, if we want to share the gospel. That's not up for debate. That's not up for question. That is part 
of being a disciple. Jesus seeks out and celebrates those that were once lost but are now found, and we should do the same. Think in, think in your own life. Those of you who know Christ, think of the moment that, that you knew him as Savior. Think of that moment. It was happy, and then odds are you got, if you got baptized after that, a bunch of people clapped for you. Maybe you had a lot of family come. It's a joyous moment. It's very joyful. You remember it. You know exactly where it was. It may have been here. It may have been at Falls Creek. You can picture that moment. Remember that celebration and the joy that you had then. We have to look past ourselves and show that same joy to others when they come to know Jesus. We are to be seeking out people in our life who are far from God. It's not just enough for us to know who these people are. Yeah, I can point it out. Yeah, I know he's not striving to be more and more like the Lord. I know she's not doing the right thing. It's not enough just to point it out, but we are to actually share the gospel. Then we are to live it out. We are to invite others in. We have to be looking for opportunities to connect people that are far from Christ to Christ. Remember when I told you about my car crash earlier? Well, there were some consequences to that. I, I remember I was about grounded for a week, something, something in that area, nothing crazy. But that is besides the point. In that moment, when I got in a car crash, do you think after it was all said and done, my dad was like, hey, you can never drive ever again. Do you think that happened? No, it did not happen. I was able to drive. He didn't say that. Do you think he probably gave me some pointers of like, hey, this is how you should drive and you should stop being an idiot and you should learn uh, when to actually turn your car and not run into a ditch? Do we think that that happened? Yes, it did happen. He gave me some pointers. But not only that, but my dad and I even, this I don't know how fun this was. Looking back now, I can see the joy in it. But even after that, we got to fix the part of the car that I ruined together. That was something that we got to joyfully do together. In the moment, it was not fun. But looking back now, I can see what my dad was trying to get at. Us spending time together, us being together, mended our relationship. And through that, I learned that my dad loved me even more. Even though it may not have seemed like that, I may not have felt that in the exact moment. I knew that my dad loved me more. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how but you're like, hey, Cooper, I've done this. You have no idea about this. Like if, I, if you even caught wind of what I've been doing, you think, man, I'm way too gone. That's not the case. He wants to welcome you, and he's waiting for you. I promise. You're never too far gone. Come to him. As Cole comes up, um, I really hope that, that tonight, when we mentioned earlier, to think about the father, I hope throughout the story you saw the father's reaction. The son, even though he tells him at the beginning, hey, you're basically good as dead to me. When he comes back, the father is welcoming him with open arms, no questions asked. I hope you can see how that translates into our own life. We have a father that is just as loving, but even more than that. No matter what you have done, Christ is waiting for you. For some of you, like the lost son, you may need to run home for the very first time. You've never trusted Jesus as the Savior of your life. If that's the case, I'll be in the back. There are plenty of adults here that would love to talk to you. They'd love to pray with you. Just find one of us. But some of you need to run home for the very first time. For others, you need to strengthen your relationship with the Lord. You need to seek out sinners just as Jesus did. You've been living like the older brother, but you've just never recognized it. Wherever you're at, as Cole plays, I want you to respond. And then, then during that, we'll have another moment of response here in a minute. We've got something cool that we'll do. Think of those initials that I, I was telling you to think about earlier. That person that, that maybe you know is far from the Lord. Remind, remind yourself of who that person is. We're going to do something cool with that here in a minute. But as I pray, after I pray, as Cole plays, you respond. Dear Lord, we come today, God, just thank you. 
for this parable, Lord. Thank you for this story. Lord, thank you that you chase after us. Lord, you, the Bible tells us you come running after us. God, no matter what we've done, the shame we feel, the sin that we sit in, Lord, that you're waiting, arms wide open, no questions asked. God, I just pray that if anyone's in here tonight, Lord, that needs to know you for the first time, God, that they would lay down their life, they'd look past their self, they'd, they'd realize that no matter what they've done, Lord, you love them and you'll continue to love them. Lord, I pray for some of us in here tonight that, that are like the older brother, we just may not know it or may not want to recognize it. It's hard. It was convicting to myself when, when studying and, and writing this week that oftentimes I'm more and more like the older brother than I'd like to admit, Lord. So I just ask here in this time, Lord, you would stir in the hearts um, of your people, God. And, and as Cole plays and leads us in worship, Lord, we would respond. We love you. It's in your whole name we all pray. Amen.